Hi, I'm Olaomi Brigway, and I began to experience all-round supernatural success in my life when I finally accepted that no matter how hard a person works, they will never rise above their level of thinking. Are you looking for transformation from the inside out? Then join me on the Super Abundant Life podcast. Hi, this is Olaomi and welcome to the first Spotlight episode of the Super Abundant Life podcast. Well, what's a Spotlight episode? <laughs> it is literally, as the name suggests, it is a previously published episode that we are showcasing. So going back literally and shining a spotlight on it, mainly because it is a message that needs to be heard in that particular season. And how did I even come about that? I hadn't planned um, to create a spotlight episode. In fact, the idea came to me literally as I was preparing to upload the podcast for this week. But I just had a sense to go back and listen to one of the podcasts that I had recorded and released earlier. Um, I had a general idea of what was in the podcast because of the title and I remembered some things about it. But as I began to listen to it, I realized I had forgotten most of the content and it literally blessed my socks off. I was so blessed by it, particularly because of what is happening nowadays with the news that's coming out of the US, with what's been happening with coronavirus. Um, it just basically uh, reawakened a determination inside me to keep going forward and to keep progressing and to keep prospering regardless of what people might think of me or whatever it is. So that is why I'm publishing this episode again and spotlighting it. And what's it called? It's called three subtle but powerful beliefs that are sabotaging your success. And in that episode, I talked about three things that if you, three things that we believe about ourselves that literally hold us back, regardless of what might be happening in our environment, regardless of the opportunities. And on the other side, the flip side of that, which is what I'm hoping you will come away um, from this episode after listening to it is regardless of whatever discrimination or disadvantages might be in your environment by removing these beliefs from your mind by literally surgically removing them and stepping away from them you will still go on to become all that god has called you to do and to be in this season and in the season to come i hope you enjoy this spotlight episode is the first of a few more to come so i believe that every now and then i will go back and i will shine the light on an episode mainly because it would be a message that is relevant in that particular time i hope you enjoy it and i will be back next week thanks Today we're talking all about the subtle but powerful beliefs that are sabotaging your success. Did you know that it's possible to be working hard towards a goal that you're actually subconsciously resisting because deep down you're holding on to certain beliefs that are in direct conflict with that goal? And did you also know that no matter what you do, 
those negative beliefs will find a way to keep showing up and sabotaging your success. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a young woman, you know, maybe um, early 30s, up to, going up to late 30s. She has a young family, has young children, but she's also quite keen to do well in her career. She's ambitious. She wants to climb the corporate ladder. She wants to uh, make an impact. She wants to be able to generate more income, etc. But somewhere inside her, there has been an injection of this idea that the higher you go, if you're, in, you know, if you're in the corporate world, the higher you go as a woman, the greater your children's well-being will suffer. This may be because of something that she was exposed to as a child. It doesn't really matter how that belief came. What really matters is that she believes it. So she holds on to that belief that in order to go higher, you'd have to sacrifice something. So you can't really excel and be a top woman in your industry if you're also going to raise children that are well adjusted that are healthy that are also excelling now because she holds on to that belief every time let's say for example she reaches for that promotion or she reaches for an opportunity that would help her progress in her career she will always struggle with that internal conflict that is holding her back there will always be that struggle within her and she will never really be able to fully let go or let's say there's a woman who sincerely desires an intimate marriage but believes deep down that being open, so openness, opening yourself up to your mates, to your spouse, will eventually lead to being exploited or abused. Like I said, it doesn't matter how these beliefs, you know, came in or the introduction of them into our lives. The only thing that matters is whether we believe them or not. A lot of times these things come in, in childhood. So she believes that, oh, if I let, you know, if I, if I, opened up myself, then I'm going to be exploited. You know, he's going to ride all over me. Um, I will not have control of my life or he will end up abusing me. Now she desires intimacy in her marriage. She wants she and her husband to be close. But on the other hand, there's an internal belief, a negative belief that is rooted in her heart that contradicts what she desires. And as a result of that, she will always struggle to lower her guard, regardless of what she desires. These types of beliefs are called limiting beliefs and they're not so easy to identify or even to accept when they are brought to our attention. In today's episode, I will be highlighting three subtle but very powerful negative beliefs that could be holding you back from your biggest successes in life. I've extracted these limiting beliefs from the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda that Jesus had an encounter with in John chapter 5. In reading through this man's story, our first insight into his life, into his background, into the things that you know pertain to him, the first insight that we gain is that he had been sick for 38 years. 38 years! Can you imagine dealing with one problem and not really making a headway for almost four decades, 38 years. That's a long time. It might seem far-fetched, but to be honest with you, it really isn't because so many of us are walking around today with unfulfilled desires and dreams that are almost as old as we are. 
So, you know, a dream enters into your heart, maybe as a child, and you've nursed it. You may have pushed it aside, but somehow it hasn't, the flame of it hasn't completely um, been taken out. So it's still there, sort of simmering under the surface, and it just hasn't happened. Some you have actively pursued and maybe did not succeed at it. You failed a few times and you decided, nah, this is not for me. I'm going to leave it. Or you haven't even tried because maybe someone somewhere told you that it's not for you, that you're not able to do it. It doesn't matter. This, the, the What I'm really trying to pass across is the fact that this man, having been in that situation for 38 years, is not something that is extraordinary. A lot of us are walking around today with desires that are gone for such a long time and have not yet been fulfilled it might not be 38 years or it might be, it might be five it might be 10 it might be one year it might be f- seven years it doesn't matter this man was in a situation where he wanted something but for 38 years it had literally eluded him i mean what would he have been feeling what would have been the state of his heart well, for one thing, we I think we can sort of draw a conclusion that he would have been intensely dissatisfied or even depressed. Why? Because Proverbs thirteen twelve says that when a dream seems to drag on and on and on and on and on, the delay has the possibility of making the person susceptible to depression. So if a, if a dream, if you have a dream or a desire inside you that's just dragging on and on, you thought, oh, this year definitely is going to happen. And then this year came and went. Oh, then another year came and said, definitely this is the time when it's going to happen. The Bible says that if hope is deferred, if a desire keeps being dragged on and being put into the future and is not happening, it can lead to depression. So, you know, we can definitely assume that this man was in a state where he was dissatisfied, particularly because this was a problem that was affecting the quality of his life. So it was it was not just something that he could throw aside and, you know, it wasn't a a minor or a flimsy desire. It was a deep-rooted desire that was affecting his entire life. And the thing is, for him, particularly when so much effort has been invested in trying to create that change or make that desire happen, and there's nothing to show for it. When success is elusive and keeps getting pushed into the future, it comes to the point, as the Bible says, where the heart becomes sick. And that is why it is important for us, you know, I wouldn't say don't set goals, don't have dreams. By all means, you know, I teach setting goals. I, I teach going for your goals and going for your dreams. But don't go for, don't begin to write things down that you know you have no intention of going for. So at the start of the year, people tend to do this and say, this is what I want to achieve this year. This is what I want to do this year. This is what I desire. But they have zero intention of actually actively pursuing that thing and going and putting a plan together and going for it. They just put it down like some kind of wish list, like somebody will snap their fingers and then voila, everything you've written down happens. The problem with doing that year in, year out is the same thing will remain on your list year in, year out. And every time you keep seeing it, when an opportunity comes for you to actually get up and do it, 
you're already discouraged. The heart has become sick over that particular matter. And it's not because it's not possible for you. It's because you haven't really given attention to it. Now you are, you know, you might be checking off the list and say, oh, but I wanted this thing this year and God didn't do it. It's like we judge it as if, oh, I, I went for it and then it didn't happen. Meanwhile, a lot of times the things that we say we desire, we don't actually put any kind of attention towards it. And the Bible says that it is the measure of attention that you give to something that would determine the measure of power that you would draw from that thing. So if we don't give attention to it, it means the power of God cannot really work for you in that particular area. But anyway, so this man, um, had been sick for 38 years and he was, he was showing up. He was showing up every single day to go to the pool with the hope that this might be the day. Then after 38 years without warning, Jesus shows up in his space and offered him a solution or the solution that this man had spent all of those years searching for. Jesus just showed up. Just like that. So Jesus asked him, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? Okay. Now, one might be forgiven. I might be forgiven, right? (laughs) For thinking that, you know, Jesus's question was not a very intelligent thing to ask. I mean, you look at a man and the Bible says that Jesus knew that he had been sick for a long time. So you see a man there that had been sick for a long time. He was clearly beside the pool of Bethesda and the pool was known for, you know, miracles. So an angel would come and stir the water and the first person to jump in would be healed. Right? So he's making all that effort, tremendous effort for someone that's lame to get himself there every single day, um, which shows his intention and shows his desire. And then Jesus goes, um, would you like to get well? Hmm. Would you like to get well? He had been sick for almost 40 years. Well, I would have thought, yeah, <laughs> of course he wanted to get well, Jesus. Why are you asking him that? But you see, you know what? Jesus and you know God, the Holy Spirit, he will ask you questions for you to locate where you are. He knows the same way when Adam sinned and he went to hide himself. So Adam went and hid himself and God said, where are you? And he said, oh, I was, I was afraid. So I went to hide my, God knew where he was. The same way when God asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? God knew what had happened. He wasn't asking to say, okay, can you please take me to where Abel is? He knew everything that had happened. He knows all things, but he asked us those questions to look so, so that to locate us so that we can know exactly where we are. And if you were reading, I thought, how can you not want to get well? Now, guess what this guy responds with? Jesus asked him, would you like to get well? Someone that's been sarcastic might say, well, duh, of course he wants to get well. But guess what this guy said? He said, I can't, sir. Hmm. I can't. Is that what he said? I can't. I don't understand. You know, this baffles me because to the casual observer, this man appeared to be 100% committed to his success. He appeared to be 100 committed to getting into that pool and getting healed. 
to getting to the point where the lameness vanishes from his life. Imagine what it would have cost him as a crippled man to get himself over to that pool every day. It would certainly have required a tremendous amount of effort. Here he was, showing up, working hard, thinking or hoping that one day it would be his turn. But when the opportunity for that success actually presented itself, the true state of his heart was revealed. Jesus asked that question to lay bare what was really in that man's heart. His desire and his belief were completely at odds with each other. And this brings me to the first limiting belief, the subtle but powerful belief that could be holding you back from success. And it is this, number one, you believe that as long as you keep showing up and working hard, success will come. Let me repeat that. You believe that as long as you keep showing up and you keep working hard, success will come. But we've just seen from this man's story, he was working hard, he was showing up, but he didn't even expect success to come. And if not by the mercy of God, and I say mercy, you might say, well, he got healed anyway, Jesus showed up. That was purely by the mercy because I was researching this and, you know, studying about this man's story. And I realized that every time Jesus healed someone, he always gave them an instruction. He would say, go and your servant will be healed. And the person would start going and the Bible say at the same hour or stretch forth your hands and be healed or do that and be healed or go and say this, go and fish. And then they will go and they will find a coin. There was always an instruction. People obeyed the instruction and then the miracle happened. But if you read John chapter five, that where this man's story, you will see that the order was reversed. The Bible says that he was instantly healed. So the, Jesus said to him, take your bed, take up your bed and, and walk. And it was reversed. It wasn't, oh, he took up his bed and he was healed as with all the other cases in his own particular case, it was, he was instantly healed. And then he took up his bed, go and check it out. So he was absolutely not involved. It wasn't because of his faith. Other situations, Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. This man had zero faith. He was literally as a result of mercy, just the mercy of God showing up to heal him. So he was at that point, he was working hard. He was working hard, but that hard work and the showing up would not have led him to that success. He would not, it was, he was definitely not on the path where he would have ever received that miracle. He would have died there at that poolside. That's, that was his trajectory. Even though he was working, you know, imagine, you know, I like to paint pictures. Imagine this man, we don't know if he was married, if he had kids, if he's been sick 38 years, he was at least 38 years old. And I'm guessing based on some of the things that Jesus said later, that this didn't happen to him as a child. He was already a man. He was already a man because Jesus went to him later and said, stop sinning on otherwise something worse. So we know that he was, it was quite advanced in years, right? He had to get himself there. So he was working hard. <laughs> and do you know that most people actually believe that hard work is all you need? 
to succeed. But it's not. It's much more than working hard. A study was con- conducted in 2014 and it found that 73% of Americans, so this was conducted in America, believe that on a scale of 1 to 10, hard work is a 10 when it comes to achieving success in life. That is how people view success. They believe that work hard for it and it will happen. But there are other contributing factors to success, like what you actually believe about yourself. If you're working hard and don't believe you can achieve that success, it will not happen because it will, that belief will sabotage your ability to achieve that success. Have you ever worked hard at something and failed? Well, that's your evidence. Very likely, I think probably all of us. Maybe you busted your butt, you know, to pass an exam or for a promotion, but you were passed over and you're like, but I did everything. I worked extremely hard, sleepless nights, but it still didn't happen. It's more than just working hard. There are corrections that are internal corrections a lot of the time that need to be made in order for that success to find expression in our lives. So what is hard work? All right. The Oxford Dictionary defines hard work as a great deal of effort or endurance. If we go by that definition, the man at the pool would have scored a perfect 10. A lame man getting to the pool every single day, that's a 10. For 38 years, he worked hard, he showed up, but he never succeeded. 38 years. Think about the woman. For those of you that may, you know, come from Africa, you know, I come from Nigeria and I grew up in Lagos and you would see women, you know, women that are selling, hawking, street hawking, right? Hawking a tree of oranges in that punishing Lagos heat for 10 to 12 hours a day. And all she's, all all she's trying to sell is maybe a tree of bread, you know, loaves of bread or oranges or fruit or something like that. Imagine how much she would make from that. Sometimes she might not even end up selling everything. She's working extremely hard, laboring under the hot sun, but is still struggling to feed her children. Is she a hard worker? Absolutely. Would you call her vocation successful? Maybe not. So hard work does not automatically equate success. That man at the pool revealed the true state of, our, of his heart when he uttered the word, I can't, sir. I can't. He really didn't believe that he could ever be healed. And that belief kept him in that place for 38 years. My point is, hard work alone is not enough. You have to continually evaluate the state of your heart and ensure that your heart truly believes what you're pursuing can be yours. That is well within your grasp. If you believe it's impossible, that only a certain kind of people can get it, yet you're working and expending a lot of energy, time and effort, you're wasting your time because it will not happen. It will not happen unless like this man, it might say, okay, it happened for him, but he waited there And it was literally by, the Bible says, time and chance. Time and chance. But if you're going to be someone that works diligently and produces supernatural things on the outside through the power of God, 
you can't live a life where you're literally just drifting and then waiting for that one time when you'll experience that one miracle and it's the only miracle you can really ever point you know tell people about or you know share in your in, in your entire life in 20 years people you know it's it's as if it, it might feel like in 20 years there's only one major major thing that's happened that god has done in that sense that you know I, when i exploded in this particular area and once it's never happened again and everything has been very average since then i don't believe that's the kind of life god has called us to i believe that every single season that we find ourselves in there should be something new something supernatural that's been birthed in our lives hard work without a heart that is aligned to your success does not produce success it does not produce success. There are other contributing factors to success. Success. It is not just working hard. You have to make internal and external corrections along the way. So that's the first one. The second one, the second belief, subtle but powerful belief that could be holding you back from success is you believe that you lack the resources you need to succeed. You believe you lack the resources you need to succeed. So people will say things like, well, if only I had this, then I would have that. If only I was in that department, then they would promote me. If only I wasn't a woman that had a child, you know, to go back home to, and I can't stay at, you know, in the office and work all those long hours, like all the men, then I would have gone further than this. So you look at yourself essentially, and you do a mental or actual or, or, or a mental evaluation and you conclude that I don't have what I need to be able to move forward. Now, what was the man's reason for his lack of success? Remember, we're drawing these lessons from this man's story. What was his, when he said, I can't, sir. Why did he say that? Why did he believe that he could not get healed? He said, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. <laughs> In other words, I can't do what those other guys are doing because I don't have the resources at their disposal. <laughs> I have no man. I, I, I don't have what I need. I have no man. Today, it might sound something like, oh, they have all the right connections. That's why they're getting ahead. Or something like, oh, her parents are rich, so they gave her the capital to start her business. That's why she's prospering. <laughs> or it might be, oh, he went to an Ivy League school. That's why, that's why this is happening, and that's why I haven't been promoted. Or someone might say, oh, I have no business experience like they do. <laughs> and on and on and on and on. We judge ourselves, we judge our we judge our current situation in the light of the people that are succeeding in the light of the goals that we have placed in front of us. And we say, no, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what I need in order to move forward. And the danger of doing that is you are completely disqualifying yourself from achieving that success. Every time you look around you and say, oh, the reason why they are doing it is big and i'm not able to do this because they have x y and z and i don't have it you've literally disqualified yourself and said oh i can't do it 
I remember when I, when I, you know, when I, in my professional career, I had so many people come up to me and people always talking about minorities now always used the minority, like ethnic minority as a reason for not progressing in the workplace. They would say, oh, it's because I'm black. Oh, it's because, you know, I have an accent. Oh, you know, it's because of this, it's because of that. And, you know, thankfully for me, I always say it's nothing but the gift of growing up in Nigeria. I didn't grow up in this country. So I didn't really have that idea that, you know, I'm inferior to a white man because I grow every, every, everywhere I turned, all the faces were black. (laughs) Everyone was black. So it was based on where all you call here. So if, if I do what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to beat you. Do you understand? So when I came here, I didn't carry that consciousness that I didn't have what it takes, right, to succeed in this country. I did. I simply did not have that consciousness inside me. But then I would come. I would come up, and you know, I would meet black people over and over again over the years. And the higher I went, the more they would come up to me and have this conversation. I say, you know, they would not in a malicious way. So it, it, a lot of times it was, oh, we're so proud of you. You know, you, you're an example. And I always received that. So oh, you know, that's that is what I hope to do. I, I hope to be able to show that this is possible. And you know, I would ask. And try and put together some kind of plan for them to progress or whatever it is. But it always baffled me that always during those conversations, at some point, they would say the reason. So it would sort of spill out of them the reason why they believe, why they are not achieving the kind of success that I was achieving. And I was, so I had certain people that I was following that I looked up to and I thought, if they're doing it, why not me? black, white, red, yellow, it didn't matter to me. I see somebody that's doing something well and I believe I can do it too, okay? And I would go for it. But it it would always slip from doing conversations from these people that, oh, you know, you know, it's just black teachers, this is because, you know, I have this accent that, the you know, and they don't really like, you know, putting people that have accent in mind and all sorts, and all sorts. So when we do that, when we look around and say, oh, it's because they have this and I don't have this. That's why they're succeeding and I'm not right. We literally disqualify ourselves. I just, you know, remembered something about when I, when I first came into this country, I remember after I was applying for my very first job and we went from university, I was doing my postgrad and we all went to this job fair where recruiters came and you know if they're interested in you they you, they do like a two-minute interview and you know they shortlist and at the end of the day they would take a certain number of people back to the organization and then do an extended interview etc and i remember that two for this particular organization two of us were shortlisted i remember at that point in time i had only been in the uk literally about five months about five months Okay, so fresh from Nigeria, um, fresh from Nigeria, only been in UK five months, shortlisted me and another lady, uh, English, white, had gone to the, you know, top schools, um, top universities, maybe she went to Oxford or something, private schools throughout her secondary education. So if you compare, I mean, someone that's coming from University of Lagos, 
which some people might consider bush compared to where, where Oxford or something might you know look at the difference. But we were we were both shortlisted and were taken back uh, to the organization for an extended interview. And there was something I that that image was burnt into my heart, you know, by the mercy of God. Do you know that we were we me with my Nigerian accent? Okay, and this woman, like I, I just gave you her credentials. We were we were interviewed, and basically, they they basically just said, "We want you." So they said to me, "No, we want you." In fact, as I was going in for my interview, they were like, "The head of that department that I was being recruited for said, relax. This this it was a predominantly white organization. I think I was, you know, when I went there, maybe there were." I think there was only one other black person working at this time or something. Um, but he was like, you know, your, your, your experience, your not experience, but we've been so impressed. We've been so impressed by what, you know, by everything you've done so far, etc. Um, we definitely want you to relax. And he was literally give, coaching me on how to say things and what to say, etc. And this person that on paper should certainly have gotten the job. Because it was a prestigious role. I, you know, it would make sense to put someone that has a prestigious background that looked and talked the part in it. But they chose me. So I remember things like that. And I remember that, listen, it has nothing to do. I have no disadvantages. My black skin is not a disadvantage. And that is how I see life. Being female for me is not a disadvantage because I tell myself every single day that I'm first and foremost a son of the Most High God. That's first of all who I am. Before I'm female, before I'm Nigerian, black, African, whatever it might be, I'm first of all a son of the Most High God. And if I'm a son of the King that owns everything, I certainly have no disadvantages. So we don't want to go around disqualifying ourselves. This man literally disqualified him. He has no man. He said it with his own mouth. Because he has no man, it means it could not happen for him. That's basically what he said. And if you think about it this way, have you ever noticed how throughout scripture, God always asks people to use what was already in their possession to do whatever he was sending them to do? To do whatever I was sending them to do. Those Bible heroes that we read about, they used mundane everyday resources that most people may have discounted or belittled. Those were the things that they used to accomplish great and awesome wonders for God. Everything you need to accomplish your goals, your dreams is already in your environment. You just need to open your eyes. It's already there. You don't need to cross seven seas and climb a million mountains to be able to get it. If you look around you and you say, I don't have it. The reason why they're doing well is because they have it and I don't. You have completely disqualified yourself. Until you stop wishing for what other people have, you won't really recognize those opportunities and those resources that are already in your hands that God is prepared to use. So when you see people just like you succeeding, it's very tempting. It's very tempting to want to explain that success away and attribute it to some form of advantage that you don't have to say, it's because I don't have this, but resist that temptation at all costs. 
Because what you're simply doing is erecting a wall that you are telling yourself you will never scale. And as long as you do that, you won't scale it and you will not achieve that success. All right. It brings me to the third and final subtle but powerful belief that could be sabotaging your success. And it is this. You believe that success is a destination rather than a journey. You believe that success is a destination, a last bus stop, (laughs) rather than a journey. The final lesson that I gleaned from this man's story happened after Jesus Jesus had actually healed him. Before he'd even had the chance to settle in and enjoy his newfound freedom and success, Jesus walked up to him and issued a stern warning. Jesus said, now you are well. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. I mean, (laughs) this man was at the peak of his success and this was Jesus's advice to him. Come on. (laughs) Imagine the day, I don't know, Jeff Bezos um, was announced as the richest man in the world or the day Amazon really took off or something. Someone walking up to him and saying, hey, hey, watch your step, mate. because it's downhill from here. It sounded like the same thing. The man was riding on the pinnacle. So he literally, something he had been waiting for for 38 years finally happened. And then you just say, stop sinning or it's going to be worse. (laughs) I mean, how about letting the guy even celebrate the momentous achievement? But you know, Jesus never did anything anyhow. He, he was the most intentional human being that ever walked the face of the earth. So God demonstrated what it means to be intentional when Jesus walked the face of the earth as, as a human being. He says, you know, Jesus knew that the man was in danger of becoming lost in his success, of forgetting himself. He was essentially saying to him, don't rest on your laurels. This success is not permanent. You have to keep growing. You can't go back to old ways of doing things. You can't even stay stagnant and do nothing because not only will you not maintain the success, you will end up in a worse state than where you started from. So there were certain things that led him to the point where he was paralyzed. We see here that it was a particular kind of sin. Now that he had attained success, he might think, oh, I can just go back to doing things the way that I used to do it. Or I'm not going to become aware or focused on trying to live a godly life. And Jesus said, listen, if that happens, your latter state, your end state is going to be even worse than the beginning. Have you ever seen a brand new, beautifully decorated house? You walk in, you're like, wow, wow, this is beautiful, stunning, stunning, you know, tastefully furnished. If you leave that house, so do you know, people actually live in the fact that you live in the house and then you clean it regularly. You dust, you clean, you sweep, you hoover and all those things. That is what is keeping that house at a certain level of quote unquote success. And it's actually to the degree, so if someone doesn't really clean their house properly, you will see the degeneration starting to happen, the deterioration, okay? It is, imagine a fantastic, beautiful new house. You would consider that a success, right? This house is finished. We achieved what we wanted to achieve. But then 
if that house is not lifting, if that house is left exactly as it is, very, very soon, nobody touches, nobody does anything. You begin to notice signs of deterioration. So the weeds will begin to come up, the cobwebs. After a while, the house itself will begin to decay and to fall apart. That is the nature of the world that we live in. That's just the way things work. You can't actually think, oh, I've gained this promotion. I am now in the role that I want, uh, always wanted. I've achieved success. And then you literally just go to sleep and say, I've arrived. No, new levels, all right? New devils, as they say. <laughs> the challenges grow with your capacity for success. So if you achieve success, that means you have expanded in your capacity for that success and also for the challenges that come with that success. I once read the story of the first people to reach the peak of Mount Everest. Um, there were two men, an Englishman and um, I, I don't think it was Indian. <laughs> anyway, um, their names are Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, right? So these men... They literally went where no other human being had gone. Try to imagine how they must have felt. The incredible sense of pride and accomplishment. The unbridled joy. It had taken seven weeks of grueling labor to get there, climbing, right? Not knowing if they would make it or not because people had tried and failed. Some had died in the process. But guess what? After they got there, after they achieved that success, this is another example to show you that you can never really achieve, get to a place called success because the goalpost keeps moving. They, only, they could only stay at the summit for 15 minutes because of the limited air supply. So they, they, they make the most of the 15 minutes. They took in, took photographs, took in the breathtaking scenery and the views. But because the air was so thin, they couldn't stay there. They had to keep moving. And as Jesus told that man, if they had stayed there for too long, they would have died. That very success would have squeezed the life out of them. That is how if we don't expand to fill the success, that success will literally squeeze the life out of the person. That's how it works. Success is not a destination. You don't get married and say, now I'm married. For those of you out there that are married, you know that that's actually the beginning. Is the marriage, the wedding signifies the end of the courtship and the beginning of the marriage itself. It's the beginning. I'm finally married. Okay, I've achieved success. Phew. All right, let's just chill. No, <laughs> the challenges won't even let you stay. They won't let you. Won't even let you stay idle. It won't even let you. So it's not a destination. It's not a final bus stop that you literally just say, "Well, um, <laughs> I'm here now, and that's it." The prob probably. The most graphic example, you know, in terms of imaging that I can give is weight loss. You lose weight and say, oh, okay, um, that's it. I can go back to eating. I, I remember someone told me once, um, so she had been on this very rigorous health and fitness 
um journey and you know she, she she was doing extremely well extremely well we're so proud of her and you know she was saying oh you know so i'm like oh, you're doing so well well done continue excited well, yeah 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 well but i don't really need to you know keep doing all these things i'm i'm targeting size whatever it is she said this particular size once i get there i'm done and i and i looked at her and i wanted to say oh okay if you're done, it's only a matter of weeks or months at, at most before you actually go back to where you were. And that is how we tend to see life. Like, okay, I've hit my goal. Boom. I've achieved the success. Boom. And then I just relax. I let myself go. They, they will tell you that maintenance is far <laughs> harder to achieve than actually losing the weight in the first place. This is the same principle that Jesus was teaching this man. So success is not a destination. It's a journey that never really ends until God calls you home. If you believe once a success, always a success, that pattern of thinking, that limiting belief will prevent you from taking the necessary steps for growth for increase, for development, for expanding your capacity, for learning and acquiring new skills, new knowledge, so that you can keep climbing higher. And anything that stops growing begins to die. It's just the nature of things. If anything stops growing, it begins to dry. It begins to dry. I finish up with the story of the man in the Bible. The Bible says that he was a rich man and his, his, his farms brought forth abundant harvest as in like he had never seen before, like he had never seen before he harvested, you know, he had a, um, a harvest, harvest load that was far more than anything he'd ever seen, exceeded all kinds of expectations. So he had a tremendous success, tremendous, far above his expectations. Do you know what he did? He said, Oh, now that I have the success, let me just relax. I don't have to lift a finger for the rest of my life. I'm just going to relax. And the Bible says, God said to him, you fool. Today, your soul will be required of you. Why? He says he wasn't rich towards God. He literally decided to lie down at that place of success and he wasn't going to grow anymore. He wasn't going to continue to use the ability that God gave him to more, to produce harvests on this earth. And God said, you're useless now. There's nothing we can do with you anymore. So it's time, it's time to come cross over to the other side. That's the principle. And that's the third limiting belief that could be sabotaging your success. So this has been me, allow me, and I will be back next time. Thanks. Bye.